A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week we take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who are they? What made them so notorious? How did the internet or the algorithm choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. And like always, we'll be here every week. You'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics. Nothing is off the table. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor! Gene was wounded! But be careful, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really need your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Gene, run! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to It Could Happen Here, the podcast about the world falling apart and how we can put it back together again. I'm your host, Christopher Wong. Now, three months ago, we covered Greg Abbott's attempt to shut down the border and how he was forced basically to back down by a Mexican trucker strike. And in that episode, we mentioned that Abbott's newest stunt was deporting people from Texas to Washington, D.C. to make Biden look bad by, you know, moving the problem to him. And as a political stunt, this has largely failed. As a humanitarian disaster inflicting untold human misery on completely innocent people, it is still continuing to unfold. And here today to talk about this with us is Amy Fisher with Sanctuary DMV and the Migrant Solidarity Mutual Aid Network. Amy, thank you for joining us and welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. So excited to be here. Yeah. Um, somewhat less excited that this is happening because, dear God. <laughs> yeah, so I guess... To start off, do you want to tell us a bit about what's been, I guess, how this started and what the sort of initial reaction and non-reaction of the D.C. government has been? Sure. So um, in April, Governor Abbott started busing people from the border to D.C. Um, We knew from the get-go that this was a racist publicity stunt, um, particularly because the first few buses were dropped off right in front of the Fox News building. Um, And we all initially thought it was going to be a few weeks of busing people. And here we are um, in the middle of July and the buses have kept coming. Um, Buses arrive to D.C. basically every single day of the week except for um, Monday evenings and Tuesday mornings. And there have been probably around 3,500 people bused from Texas to D.C. And uh, not too long after, uh, Governor Ducey of Arizona started doing the same thing and busing people from the Arizona border to D.C. And the D.C. government has basically been unwilling to grapple with the reality of what's happening. You know, people are arriving to D.C. with very, very little resources, typically like the clothes on their back. Sometimes they don't even have shoes on their feet when they get off the buses. And it's been... um, kind of amazing to see the way that the DC community has responded. It's been 
like the type of response that makes me remarkably proud of being a DC resident and being from the area. And also um, it's something that the DC government is turning an eye, a blind eye to um, and pretending like um, the, the reality that we are seeing when we are talking to people that are getting off the buses day in and day out is just, it's like entirely different from what, you know, the DC mayor is saying about the situation. Yeah. And I guess, well, okay. So before we talk, I guess, fully about the DC government's just uh, catastrophic, (laughs) I don't even want to know if I want to say incompetence so much as just like, eh, we'll just let these people suffer. Um, Can we talk a bit about what what, what the community responses looked like and what y'all have been doing? Sure. So maybe to back up a little bit to to tell you about sort of like what the experiences of the people that are getting off the buses. These are people that are typically um, coming to the United States to seek asylum. They're being processed at the border for a few days. And I think what like have been commonly started to be referred to as like the Perreras and Yeleras at the border. So like the dog kennels, the ice boxes in the, at the border and that are being paroled into the country. And um, so the Customs and Border Protection, CBP, is releasing these folks to um, like respite centers type of places at the border. Um, in Texas, most of the folks are coming from Del Rio and Eagle Pass. Um, and then they're being told that there's these free buses to DC and it's, it's a little bit mind boggling because we know that governor Abbott is doing these bus, this busing purely out of the most like racist xenophobic intentions. And also for many of the folks, it's a free bus to, to get to where they're trying to go. And so people are riding on the buses, arriving in D.C., and then, you know, many of them are trying to get to other places along the East Coast, um, and many are planning on staying in D.C. Um, and so what has happened is we've um, developed a, a massive mutual aid response, which has been super cool. So, you know, we have a crew of volunteers that meet the buses when they arrive um, at Union Station. And if you're not familiar with DC, Union Station is sort of the big transit center in in the middle of DC, um, actually relatively close to where the Capitol is. Um, It's sort of like the DC equivalent of like Penn Station in New York or something like that. Um, and so they're dropped off in front of Union Station. We have folks that will welcome them. And um, typically we bring to so- folks to uh, different churches around the area that have opened up their spaces as respite centers for us. And we, uh, you know, sit down with folks. We offer them some food and really try and talk through what their needs are and help them as best as we can meet those needs, whether it is you know, folks may have um, medical or uh, like trauma that they need to work through. Um, Maybe they're trying to get to New York. And so we'll help them, you know, communicate with family members or help them find their way to New York. We, you know, for the folks that are staying in DC, we've done our best to help them you know, find a way to kind of get settled and put down roots in their new community, getting them connected to community members that help them, you know, navigate DC, teach them how to use the Metro, help them get to their, you know, check-in appointments as they're, you know, having to jump through all of the hoops of ICE and being surveilled by the state and, and, um, helping them explore you know, have access to lawyers to explain their legal process and really just kind of like, I don't know, I took a dude to, to target, to be, to like help them get, go shopping and, you know, took folks to get, uh, just like the random stuff that people need when they arrive in a new place in the same way that like, I don't know if I had a friend moving to DC, I would be like, Hey, what do you need? Like, how can I help you get to know this place? Like, 
this is how our bike share program works. Like just the most basic welcome, get settled. Can we talk a little bit more about what the sort of legal process looks like here and what, like, for example, like explain what check-ins are and. Yeah. So, um, the folks that are arriving are being paroled in. Um, and so basically what it means is that they are then under surveillance from the federal government, um, from ICE, which is Immigration and Customs Enforcement. And what that looks like is a little bit of a crapshoot. Um, so many, many of the folks are um, at the border given cell phones um, that have tracking on them. And so with that cell phone, they're being tracked by the government. They basically have to take like selfies ever so often to um, check in. And then they're basically being enrolled in this program called ISAP, which is the, I can't remember the acronym. It's a, it's, um, a supervision program. And so they have to go to an ICE office once they arrive in whatever city that they're arriving to. Um, oftentimes they're being asked to turn in the, the, the ICE cell phones and having to download an app on their cell phones. If they don't have a cell phone, they might be given an ankle monitor or what many of the Spanish speakers called like a griete, basically like an ankle shackle. Um, for electronic monitoring, they'll have um, officers, you know, show up at their house. So sometimes they have to, you know, be at home from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. so that, you know, immigration come come by and make sure that they're like still there. And basically that part of the program is entirely so the government can keep a track of where these folks are. It has nothing to do with like the actual legal process that they are trying to go through to, to be able to stay here permanently. So separate and apart from that, the vast majority of these folks are asylum seekers. And so what that means is that, you know, once they're here, they have a year to apply for asylum and then they're thrust into the like totally broken asylum system that has you know, years long backlogs and things like that. And so then they'll be basically trying to find a way to um, get an asylum grant to be able to stay here permanently while also navigating the the surveillance that's happening on the ICE side of things. So, are, so I know something that happens with like, I guess, regular prison a lot. Are people being forced to pay for the ankle bracelets? No. Thank God. Okay. Which is, That's which is like something at the least, bare but minimum, but yeah. Still Jesus. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I will say that we've, uh, one of the issues that we have started um, sort of trying to figure out how to navigate is that what we're seeing is people, you know, they get the ICE cell phones at the border and then at their check-in, they're supposed to turn in the ICE cell phones and then download this, uh, this surveillance app on their phone. Um, many folks don't have a cell phone or mm. the app only works if you have, I think a 5g phone. What? So you Jesus. basically have to have like the fanciest of the phones, which if you, if you're an asylum seeker and you just risked it all to come here to seek safety and you don't really have a support in the U S and now you're being told that you have to have this super fancy phone or you get an ankle shackle. It's it's just kind of a ridiculous thing knowing that it's okay. Maybe you're privileged enough to be able to be surveilled on your own personal cell phone, or you just have to have an ankle shackle at all times. Bean dad, the dress 30 to 50 feral hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online and Hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus, where every week I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who were they? What made them so notorious? Why did the internet choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? I'll be talking to internet historians, experts, and yes, the main characters themselves to get a fuller picture. Because I think that even outside individual experiences, a character of the day tells us something about how the internet worked at that time. 
and how the attention economy developed into the freaky three-headed dragon it is today. Together, we probably won't be able to properly log out, but we can take a walk down scary internet memory lane and see one day a little more clearly. Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins, and this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for The Eligible Bachelor? Meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then... Fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Mother's Day is right around the corner, and in true She Pivots fashion, we're highlighting moms who've dedicated their lives and their pivots to supporting mothers. The iconic Christy Turlington will join us to talk about launching Every Mother Counts after pivoting from her 90s supermodel days. And later, the co-CEOs of Baby to Baby will share how they're addressing the needs for millions of babies and moms. So tune in and subscribe to She Pivots. New episodes out every Wednesday. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Rosie, somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. It feels so good. It does. And like always, we'll be here every week covering the wide world of TV, movies, comics, and geek culture. That's right. We'll be talking about Batman, heroes of that stature, and of course... We'll be inviting our friends in the industry to come geek out with us and share stories. We'll hear from TV writers, from actors, comics creators, pop culture critics, and more. Nothing is off the table because geek culture is pop culture. And we can't wait to share our love of it all with you every single week. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. so much of this process just like it really feels just like it's it's just it, it's surveillance just sort of for the purpose of humiliation it's surveillance for the purpose of humiliation it's surveillance for the sake of some um this idea that we've been dealing with in the US since September 11th that uh, immigration is a national security concern that, you know, if, if immigrants aren't being surveilled 24 hours a day, then like Lord knows what they could do. Um, when the reality is, is these are folks that are just like normal people trying to live their best lives. Um, and I also think how, I think it's really important to say how much of this is also, entirely based on government funding and and availability that so oftentimes the decision as to what kind of surveillance you're under is based upon what is available um based on contracts with you know private surveillance companies and private prison companies that have a surveillance arm and things like that it's it's entirely profit driven yeah definitely definitely it's, again, I keep thinking about prisons and it's just like, yeah, I mean, literally, literally the same companies doing this kind of stuff and how, yeah. And like, I think, I don't know, there's, there's this kind of like, I mean, I guess people, it's just a prison industrial complex, but the, yeah, there's this whole, there's this sort of like state private sector complex that both feed on each other where you have these companies taking federal money to do stuff. You have these companies who are like, have figured out ways to extract like money from the people that they're surveilling 
And I guess, okay, keep, keep keeping on the thread of the state making people's lives miserable. Um, yeah, so Muriel Bowser not doing anything. Uh, yeah, we talked about that a bit. So it, it, Muriel Bowser's uh, messaging that we have received has evolved a little bit here and there. So sometimes she says that the majority of people that are getting off the bus have everything they need and have family supporting them. And so there actually is no reason for the government to step forward because these people already have all of their needs met, which I would say maybe one person or one family every every few days has someone that's, you know, ready to meet them when they step off the bus, but the vast majority of people don't. And and I would say that we're seeing an ever-increasing amount of people that don't have anybody in the United States. And so they really are in need of a lot of supports to help them really figure out their way here because they don't have cousins or family friends or extended family, whatever it may be, to help them, you know, put down roots in the, in their new communities. Um, in, in recent weeks, her messaging has shifted a little bit because there is actually a Spain-based organization that got a grant from FEMA to support on the buses. Um, and so now Bowser's response is, this organization, SAMU, has it. It's covered. There's there's no, like, refuse one, refusing to even acknowledge the fact that the mutual aid network has been and continues to do the vast majority of the welcoming of the folks that are arriving. And two, once again, refusing to acknowledge that there is any role that DC could be or should be playing here. Yeah, and it, it definitely it seems like I don't know. I mean, it's it's a, a kind of classic like state two step. Where it's like, yeah, on the the one hand, it's like, okay, there's no problem. The second thing is, we found an NGO we can sort of like pretend is doing the actual work. Um, and I guess one one of the other things that that I I, I saw from y'all recently was a bunch of people got exposed to COVID while doing this, and there was like basic. You guys did basically a work stoppage. So last week, um, we basically hit a wall. Um, many of our core organizers had been exposed to COVID. Um, we were running out of funds because this work is expensive. Yeah. Um, and we had been doing this as volunteers around the clock, you know, 24 hours a day, seven days a week for months. And last week we kind of hit a wall and, um, told this NGO that is receiving FEMA funding that, um, we needed to take a beat um, and take two days where, you know, folks could get COVID tested and make sure they were in the clear to come back to work and rest and also spend time. Like we, you know, it, it, call it a work stoppage, but we were all still working. We were all, you know, having yeah. conversations as to how yeah. we make this work more sustainable, how we find, you know, systems of support to, to make this this welcome last and unfortunately that resulted in people basically getting stranded at union station um and when our folks were able to return to welcoming buses on um you know later in the week they ended up with like i don't know 30 additional people that had basically been sleeping at union station because this other ngo that you know is receiving federal funding to do the work that the mayor is saying has it and therefore she doesn't have to do anything didn't show up and and there were a handful of good samaritans that like 
you know, would be at Union Station and see a bunch of folks and they, you know, spoke different languages and would be able to support them kind of here and there. But it really showed how, um, I think it really proved the, 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 the work that the mutual aid network had been holding and that, you know, if we tried to take a step back, things, things fall, um, and really showed how much we need others to step in because the work that we've been holding has, is, has been, you know, wearing us down and hiding the situation a little bit, right? That, People don't, you know, when we're able to really show up and and provide the folks that are arriving with the support that they need, what it means is that the government isn't paying attention because it's it's not their problem in that moment. Um, it means that D.C. residents don't have to walk by asylum seekers when they're trying to get to the metro after work. It means that um, you know, the, the people are cared for and, and that's great. And it's work that we're proud of and it's work that we're doing well. Um, but it's also work that we need support doing, um, because it's, it's a lot and the numbers have increased, you know, and, and we want to be able to provide welcome. We want to be able to give the folks what they need, but as long as we're sort of living in this world where bus tickets are massively expensive and food is expensive and, you know, we got to, we got to help clothe people and, and help people meet their needs, then, then we have to have support. And that's just, that's just the reality. Yeah, it's one of the things that is really frustrating about this too. Is it's like it's not like the resources to do this don't exist. Like it's not it's not even like the state hasn't like attempted to put resources out, but it just got fed into this NGO complex of people who are just doing nothing. And I don't know, like the 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 way you get to see sort of both arms of what the state does, where it's like okay, on the one hand, you have the part of the state that's just hitting people with clubs that's just doing this stuff and you get the sort of political arm of the state who just like, again, are just literally shuffling people's lives around as, as, you know, as political theater and the political, political theater doesn't matter because these people's lives don't matter to the state or to anyone who has even a tiny bit of power unless that, you know, they're vi it's visible enough that people are like the, the people have to see it and that people, you know, get annoyed because, Oh, Hey, look at this thing happening. That's like interfering with my life now. And, you know, and then it's like, oh, hey, they're supposed to be part of the state that, like, takes care of people. And it just isn't. And that's just incredibly frustrating. I don't know. It's. I think of a few things. So when we first started seeing buses coming to D.C., um, you know, that people are dropped off in front of Union Station. And at the time, there was an encampment of unhoused people um, that, you know, had their tents and stuff in front of Union Station. And so folks would get off the bus and say, you know, what are the tents? Like, who are these people living in tents? And so be like, welcome, welcome to the nation's capital of this place that you just came to seek opportunity, to seek safety. And you're immediately showing, getting showed in, in the most, you know, visible terms possible of the way that the state is failing its own people um, because people in D.C. don't have housing. Um, and housing here is immensely expensive. And yeah. then um, I say in the early days because uh, in, I think it was in May, uh, that encampment was cleared. Um, and so those people lost their homes. Um, and now... It, it continues to be a struggle that, you know, if we are unable to provide housing for the people that get off the bus, they are going into the D.C. shelter system that is already overrun because there is a high housing crisis in D.C. and a looming eviction crisis. And even for the folks that are arriving here on the buses, if they don't have 
supports, they're, they're thrust into this situation in which the state is preventing them from working. They don't have a way to work legally for at least a few months, um, presumably until, you know, they can apply for a work permit, presumably after they file for asylum. But these are folks that don't have a way to work legally that are, have, that have zero support from the state. So how, like, tell me how somebody is supposed to live in the United States, feed themselves, feed them, their, feed their families, um, have a roof over their head, survive, have a cell phone for your surveillance app, have the means to travel an hour, you know, once every few weeks to check in with ICE if they're legally prevented from working. It's just, it's a total abandonment of people who need and wholeheartedly deserve support. Yeah, and I think, like, it's it's honestly, like, honestly, I think it's, it's worse than abandonment, right? Like, if, if they just, like, if these people were allowed to come into the U.S. and the state did literally nothing at all, it would be better than the situation that exists now. Like, it's not even just that they're being abandoned. It's that they're actively being prevented from, like, doing the things they need to live. And it's, I don't know, I, th- I think this is, this is something you see on a sort of broader level, right? Where there's a lot of, I don't know, back when I was in sort of social theory land, there was a lot of talk about, like, necropolitics and the state letting people die. And it's like, well, yeah, but, like, they're also actively helping to kill them, too. Like, that that's, like, it, it, it's not just that the state abandons people. It's that the state abandons people, and then it, it takes the resources and prevents anyone else from using them. And then, you know, and when it, when it does sort of, yeah, I mean, going back to sort of this NGO that's not doing anything, it's like, yeah, when, when, it, when it does sort of send these resources out, it's sending them into these, in, like, in, in, into its own sort of parastate complex with the sort of NGO sector that's just not doing anything. And it's just, I don't know, like, it, it's, it's this bind, right? Because it's like, yeah, like, on the one hand, like, communities have to be able to support each other, but it's like, we don't have the resources for it. And that has to come from somewhere. Right. And it's, yeah, it's impossible. And it's, it's heartbreaking to see when DC is barely doing anything for the people that have been living here for generations. And then when we have new folks arrive, they're thrust into this impossible situation and no one's really willing to engage with that problem. Um, and there are resources. It's just a matter of whether you want to to use them for these purposes. And this is a problem that we're seeing intimately here in D.C., but it's a problem that's existing everywhere around the country. Yeah. And D.C. is supposed to be a sanctuary city. Like, this isn't... This isn't D.C. with a mayor that's, you know, politically aligned with Governor Abbott. This isn't a D.C. with a mayor who is attempting to be vehemently anti-immigrant. It's a mayor who is claiming to, to represent a sanctuary city, a city that is supposed to welcome immigrants, and yet saying welcome doesn't actually mean yeah. welcome. Yeah. I, mean, I remember in, like I'm in Chicago and, you know, Chicago is also a sanctuary city. And I, I, you know, we had to physically stop deportation flights with our bodies. Like with the, the this, I have this like haunting memory. I always remember is like the first big, like anti ice, like anti kids in cages protests that we had. One of the groups that showed up to this thing, like it's called Heartland Alliance, and they, they, you know, they describe itself as like this human rights and anti-poverty organization, and they were literally running five child detention centers in Chicago. And it was like, I don't know, the the to me that that was like just the sort of like the the it, it's 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 the rubber hitting the road of saying you're a sanctuary city and what does that look like? And it's like, well, it means that your micro justice organizations like run child prisons for immigrants. It's a refusal to 
engage with reality a little bit. And, you know, the NGO of SAMU that is receiving FEMA funding to presumably abandon people at Union Station is also, you know, if things go their way, trying to open up a, a facility in D.C. to, you know, detain unaccompanied children. And that's yeah. welcome to a sanctuary city. Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus, where every week I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who were they? What made them so notorious? Why did the internet choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? I'll be talking to internet historians, experts, and yes, the main characters themselves to get a fuller picture. Because I think that even outside individual experiences, a character of the day tells us something about how the internet worked at that time and how the attention economy developed into the freaky three-headed dragon it is today. Together, we probably won't be able to properly log out, but we can take a walk down scary internet memory lane and see one day a little more clearly. Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for the eligible bachelor? Meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then... Fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Mother's Day is right around the corner. And in true She Pivots fashion, we're highlighting moms who've dedicated their lives and their pivots to supporting mothers. The iconic Christy Turlington will join us to talk about launching Every Mother Counts after pivoting from her 90s supermodel days. And later, the co-CEOs of Baby to Baby will share how they're addressing the needs for millions of babies and moms. So tune in and subscribe to She Pivots. New episodes out every Wednesday. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Rosie, somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. It feels so good. It does. And like always, we'll be here every week covering the wide world of TV, movies, comics, and geek culture. That's right. We'll be talking about Batman, heroes of that stature, and of course... We'll be inviting our friends in the industry to come geek out with us and share stories. We'll hear from TV writers, from actors, comics creators, pop culture critics, and more. Nothing is off the table because geek culture is pop culture. And we can't wait to share our love of it all with you every single week. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's probably worth mentioning. It's like, you know, Spain, another country that has just like people get it like people. So Sp- Spain like has a part of North Africa that they control. And, you know, like people like people get shot at the border by soldiers trying to like trying to climb fences, getting in. And, you know, it's it's, it's this fun thing where we're seeing like, I mean, this, this is what's been happening for the last I mean, really like forever like last 500 years has been this, but this, this sort of this, this incredible racist border system is not just an American thing. It's in Europe. It's in, it's, it's been exported 
like into Mexico itself. It's been, I don't know. It's, 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 a, it's a politics that's just sort of everywhere. And like Frontex in the EU does this stuff. Like it's, it's all just, I don't know. It, it, it's. Borders are racist. Yeah. And, and they kill and, people. And they kill people. And it feels, I, I, I don't actually think we have to go to, like, it's, it, I think it's helpful to make those analogies of how this is replicated across the world. But I also think that, you know, just a few weeks ago, there were over 50 uh, migrants that were found yeah. dead in the back of a tractor trailer in San Antonio, including, you know, young indigenous folks. And we know that there have been thousands of thousands of Haitians removed under title 42 um, and Haitians that are drowning in the water, trying to find a way to come to the United States to seek safety. People are literally dying trying to get here. And what the folks that are coming to DC in a way are the lucky ones because they're from countries like Venezuela. They're from countries like Cuba where U.S. foreign policy finds it beneficial to allow them to enter to publicly say, you know, these are the quote unquote right asylum seekers and they're able to be paroled into the country and still have to deal with all of this crap that they're dealing with. But there's countless other black, brown, indigenous folks that are arriving at the border and literally risking their lives and many losing their lives trying to get here because of these like racialized border systems that we have and that we're exporting all throughout the Americas. Like go south to Mexico to Tapachula and you basically have an open air prison of yeah. black asylum seekers. Yeah. I mean, this is something that like, like my, my, the reason my family's here is because we were able to like, my grandpa got drafted into the Taiwanese army and he was like, no. And because we were Taiwanese, we were able to get to the U S but it's like, you know, lots and lots of people like, you know, if you, if you were from South Vietnam, sometimes they let you in. If they, if you were from Taiwan, they would let you in, but like, God help you if you're from like Indonesia or just like from, I mean, so, sometimes you get people from China, but it's like, yeah, the, the, I don't know the, the, the way that just all of these people's lives are being used as geopolitical tools. They're being used. And then, you know, once they get here, they're being used as just, sort of internal American political tools. And yeah, it's just as much people getting killed at the borders and until we fucking make borders go away, like the stuff is just going to keep happening. And people are getting boarded onto buses and sent to DC because governor Abbott thinks this is the way that he can run for president. Yeah. By being the most racist, xenophobic guy in town. Maybe, maybe, and, and these folks are just political tools. And um it's it's devastating um and it's it's really also kind of amazing to be able to then also just like hang out with them and break bread with them and and realize that we're all sort of fighting this this mess together yeah and i think I don't know. Like I, we, we, we do a lot of episodes here that are incredibly depressing, but yeah, like it, I, th I guess, yeah, it isn't, I guess important as a, as a thing to sort of end on. Is it like, yeah, no, like we, like we can take care of these people. Like we can, if, if, if we actually fight this together, we can beat these guys. Like we, I don't know. Like it, 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 it is actually possible. Like these, these, all of the things that we're talking about, like this stuff didn't used to exist. It's not, it's not something that inherently has to exist and we can make it not exist again. I think the, the response that we've had in DC has been 
a really, like I can't say it enough how beautiful it is that we have a group of like over 200 volunteers that have stepped up um, and we've been able to raise a remarkable amount of money. And we've had like, you know, little kids sell cookies to support our efforts. And um, it's it's really heartwarming. Um, yeah. And people using their uh, neighborhood listservs to, you know, get donations of car seats to be able to, you know, make sure that when we're, you know, helping families, we can make sure that like the little kiddos are able to like travel in car seats safely and all of that. Yeah. And we've been able to, and we're doing more of this, of like building relationships with folks around the country that are doing similar work. Or, you know, if someone is taking a bus to New York and it, you know, breaks down in Philly, we're able to mobilize other volunteers in Philly to just like make sure that folks are like fine and okay and like get on their next bus. And that is amazing and beautiful. And to me, I think the thing that makes me optimistic and like mad at the same time is that there are both at the federal level and local levels, just billions and billions and billions of dollars that are being invested into into solutions that are based on like detention surveillance, border militarization, when, God, like, if instead we just devoted those billions and billions and billions of dollars into making sure that, like, when folks arrive here, they can have, like, a comfy bed to, li- to, to like, lay in at night and have food and be able to, like, support their families. I mean... It kind of sounds revolutionary, but it but it's just like it's so simple. Um, and there is such a concerted effort to do the opposite of the most basic. Hey, welcome to my town. How can I welcome you? There was, if, I, if I'm remembering my like immigration history right, there there used to, they, they had this program in in the UK where for a while where they would bring, okay, you'd, you'd have a family, they're coming to the US and they get paired with a British family and the British family would like show them the ropes and it worked really well. Everyone loved it and they stopped doing it because they, once they brought people in like that, they couldn't deport them because the entire community would show up and just be like, no. And so they stopped doing it. And it's like- That's a problem. Like that's the problem that like people are then welcomed and loved by their communities. Yeah. Like that shouldn't be a problem that we have to solve. That should be like, oh, this is a resounding success. Yeah, and instead it's like it's like a- a- actually living in a better world, actually having a community where people care for each other, where people take care of each other, and where people love each other, or people will fight for each other. Like that is something that the state sees as a threat. And I don't know. I, I guess it's 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 this it's this weird thing where it's like, you know, we like the better world we could be living in, like. It is is literally being built, right? Like you know, you 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 can you you can walk down the street and you can see people taking care of each other, and then it's like, here is the state who's the only thing that they want to do is just make everyone's lives increasingly miserable. That's yeah. Like, is it is it that hard to just say, hey, like folks want to be able to just like live? That's it. That's all they want to be able to do is just like live. They want to be able to work. They want to be able to support their family. They want to be able to be safe. They want to be able to like eat good food and have fun. And the state is doing everything but allowing that to be. And our like mutual aid work is 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 helping folks navigate and do as much of that as possible. Yeah, I think I think that's a good note to end on. Unless you have anything else, I don't think so. Cool. Um, okay, so wh- where where can people go to find and support this work, and where can they go to like give money if they want to, or actually help volunteer too if you're in the area? Yeah. So, um, we have a link tree that has all of the links to support us in all the ways. So, if you're here in DC. And you want to be able to support or if you want to donate, um, we have 
really cool t-shirts that we sell that say melt ice that are designed (laughs) by one of our volunteers. Um, And so it's the, the link tree is uh, like the link tree uh, slash DC TX solidarity 22. And if you follow that link, you will be able to um, see all about our work. um, You know, get the demands that we have for mayor Bowser support us in person financially whatever it is all of yeah. that lives there and yeah we, we will we will put the link in the description so cool that'd be great i'll make sure you have it yeah thank you um and yeah thank you thank you so much for joining us thank you for having me yeah and uh this has been it could happen here uh go help your neighbors and go make the state not be able to f- prevent you from doing that It Could Happen Here is a production of Cool Zone Media. For more podcasts from Cool Zone Media, visit our website, coolzonemedia.com, or check us out on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find sources for It Could Happen Here updated monthly at coolzonemedia.com slash sources. Thanks for listening. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week we take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who are they? What made them so notorious? How did the internet or the algorithm choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. And like always, we'll be here every week. You'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics. Nothing is off the table. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor. Gene was good. But be careful, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really need your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Gene, run! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.